0: story thirteen of christmas stories by charles dickens this librivox recording is in the public domain story thirteen a message from the sea part one chapter one the village and a mighty singler and pretty place it is as ever i saw in all the days of my life said captain jorgan looking up at it captain jorgan had to look high to look at it for the village was built sheer up the face of a steep and lofty cliff there was no road in it there was no wheeled vehicle in it there was not a level yard in it from the sea-beach to the cliff-top two irregular rows of white houses placed opposite to one another and twisting here and there and there and here rose like the sides of a long succession of stages of crooked ladders and you climbed up the village or climbed down the village by the staves between some six feet wide or so and made of sharp irregular stones the old pack-saddle long laid aside in most parts of england as one of the appendages of its infancy flourished here intact strings of pack-horses and pack-donkeys toiled slowly up the staves of the ladders bearing fish and coal and such other cargo as was unshipping at the pier from the dancing fleet of village boats and from two or three little coasting traders as the beasts of burden ascended laden or descended light they got so lost at intervals in the floating clouds of village smoke that they seemed to dive down some of the village chimneys and come to the surface again far off high above others no two houses in the village were alike in chimney size shape door window gable roof-tree anything the sides of the ladders were musical with water, running clear and bright. The staves were musical with the clattering feet of the pack-horses and pack-donkeys, and the voices of the fishermen urging them up, mingled with the voices of the fishermen's wives and their many children. The pier was musical with the wash of the sea, the creaking of capstans and windlasses, and the airy fluttering of little vanes and sails the rough sea-bleached boulders of which the pier was made and the whiter boulders of the shore were brown with drying nets the red-brown cliffs richly wooded to their extremest verge had their softened and beautiful forms reflected in the bluest water under the clear north devonshire sky of a november day without a cloud the village itself was so steeped in autumnal foliage from the houses lying on the pier to the topmost round of the topmost ladder that one might have fancied it was out of a bird's nesting and was as indeed it was a wonderful climber and mentioning birds the place was not without some music from them too for the rook was very busy on the higher levels and the gull with his flapping wings was fishing in the bay and the lusty little robin was hopping among the great stone blocks and iron rings of the breakwater fearless in the faith of his ancestors and the children in the wood thus it came to pass that captain jorgan sitting balancing himself on the pier wall struck his leg with his open hand as some men do when they are pleased and as he always did when he was pleased and said a mighty singler and pretty place it is as ever i saw in all the days of my life captain jorgan had not been through the village but had come down to the pier by a winding side road to have a preliminary look at it from the level of his own natural element he had seen many things and places and had stowed them all away in a shrewd intellect and a vigorous memory he was an american born was captain jorgan a new englander but he was a citizen of the world and a combination of most of the best qualities of most of its best countries for captain jorgan to sit anywhere in his long-skirted blue coat and blue trousers without holding converse with everybody within speaking distance was a sheer impossibility so the captain fell to talking with the fishermen and to asking them knowing questions about the fishery and the tides and the currents and the race of water off that point yonder and what you kept in your eye and got into a line with what else when you ran into the little harbour and other nautical profundities among the men who exchanged ideas with the captain was a young fellow who exactly hit his fancy a young fisherman of two or three and twenty in the rough address of his craft with a brown face dark curling hair and bright modest eyes under his souwester hat and with a frank but simple and retiring manner which the captain found uncommonly taking i'd bet a thousand dollars said the captain to himself that your father was an honest man might you be married now asked the captain when he had had some talk with this new acquaintance not yet going to be said the captain i hope so the captain's keen glance followed the slightest possible turn of the dark eye and the slightest possible tilt of the sou'wester hat the captain then slapped both of his legs and said to himself never knew such a good thing in all my life there's his sweetheart looking over the wall there was a very pretty girl looking over the wall from a little platform of cottage vine and fuchsia and she certainly did not look as if the presence of this young fisherman in the landscape made it any less sunny and hopeful for her captain jorgan having doubled himself up to laugh with that hearty good-nature which is quite exultant in the innocent happiness of other people had undoubled himself and was going to start a new subject when there appeared coming down the lower ladders of stones a man whom he hailed as tom pettifer ho tom pettifer ho responded with alacrity and in speedy course descended on the pier "'Afraid of a sunstroke in England in November, Tom, that you wear your tropical hat strongly paid outside and paper-lined inside here?' said the captain, eyeing it. "'It's as well to be on the safe side, sir,' replied Tom. "'Safe side?' repeated the captain, laughing. "'You'd guard against a sunstroke with that old hat in an ice-pack. "'Well, what have you made out at the post-office?' "'It is the post-office, sir.' what's the post-office said the captain the name sir the name keeps the post-office a coincidence said the captain a lucky hit show me where it is good-bye shipmates for the present i shall come and have another look at you afore i leave this afternoon this was addressed to all there but especially the young fisherman so all there acknowledged it but especially the young fisherman He's a sailor, said one to another as they looked after the captain moving away. That he was, and so outspeaking was the sailor in him that, although his dress had nothing nautical about it, with the single exception of its colour, but was a suit of a shore-going shape and form too long in the sleeves and too short in the legs and too unaccommodating everywhere terminating earthward in a pair of wellington boots and surmounted by a tall stiff hat which no mortal could have worn at sea in any wind under heaven nevertheless a glimpse of his sagacious weather-beaten face or his strong brown hand would have established the captain's calling whereas mr pettifer a man of a certain plump neatness with a curly whisker and elaborately nautical in a jacket and shoes and all things correspondent looked no more like a seaman beside captain jorgan than he looked like a sea-serpent the two climbed high up the village which had the most arbitrary turns and twists in it so that the cobbler's house came dead across the ladder and to have held a reasonable course you must have gone through his house and through him too as he sat at his work between two little windows with one eye microscopically on the geological formation of that part of devonshire and the other telescopically on the open sea the two climbed high up the village, and stopped before a quaint little house, on which was painted Mrs. Raybrock, Draper, and also Post Office. Before it ran a reel of murmuring water, and access to it was gained by a little plank bridge. "'Here's the name,' said Captain Jorgan. sure enough. You can come in if you like, Tom.' the captain opened the door and passed into an odd little shop about six feet high with a great variety of beams and bumps in the ceiling and besides the principal window giving on the ladder of stones a pure-blind little window of a single pane of glass peeping out of an abutting corner at the sun-lighted ocean and winking at its brightness how do you do ma'am said the captain i am very glad to see you i have come a long way to see you have you sir then i am sure i am very glad to see you though i don't know you from adam Thus a comely elderly woman, short of stature, plump of form, sparkling and dark of eye, who perfectly clean and neat herself, stood in the midst of her perfectly clean and neat arrangements, and surveyed Captain Jorgan with a smiling curiosity. "'Ah, but you are a sailor, sir,' she added, almost immediately, and with a slight movement of her hands, that was not very unlike wringing them, then you are heartily welcome.' thank you, ma'am said the captain i don't know what it is i am sure that brings out the salt in me but everybody seems to see it in the crown of my hat and the collar of my coat yes ma'am i am in that way of life and the other gentleman too said mrs Raybach well now ma'am said the captain glancing shrewdly at the other gentleman you are that nigh right that he goes to sea if that makes him a sailor this is my steward ma'am tom pettifer he's been almost all trades you could name in the course of his life would have bought all your chairs and tables once if you had wished to sell them but now he's my steward my name's Jorgen, and I'm a shipowner, and I sail my own and my partner's ships, and have done so this five and twenty year. According to custom, I am called Captain Jorgen, but I am no more a captain, bless your heart, than you are. Perhaps you'll come into my parlour, sir, and take a chair," said Mrs. Raybrock. "Exactly what I was going to propose myself, ma'am, after you." thus replying and enjoining tom to give an eye to the shop captain jorgan followed mrs raybrock into the little low back room decorated with diverse plants in pots tea-trays old china teapots and punch-bowls which was at once the private sitting-room of the raybrock family and the inner cabinet of the post-office of the village of steepways now ma'am said the captain it don't signify assent to you where i was born except but here the shadow of some one entering fell upon the captain's figure, and he broke off to double himself up, slap both his legs, and ejaculate. Never knew such a thing in all my life. Here he is again. How are you? These words referred to the young fellow who had so taken Captain Jorgen's fancy down at the pier. To make it all quite complete, he came in accompanied by the sweetheart whom the captain had detected looking over the wall a prettier sweetheart the sun could not have shone upon that shining day as she stood before the captain with her rosy lips just parted in surprise her brown eyes a little wider open than was usual from the same cause and her breathing a little quickened by the ascent and possibly by some mysterious hurry and flurry at the parlour door in which the captain had observed her face to be for a moment totally eclipsed by the sou'wester hat she looked so charming that the captain felt himself under a moral obligation to slap both his legs again she was very simply dressed with no other ornament than an autumnal flower in her bosom she wore neither hat nor bonnet but merely a scarf or kerchief folded squarely back over the head to keep the sun off according to a fashion that may be sometimes seen in the more genial parts of england as well as of italy and which is probably the first fashion of head-dress that came into the world when grasses and leaves went out in my country said the captain rising to give her his chair and dexterously sliding it close to another chair on which the young fisherman must necessarily establish himself in my country we should call devonshire beauty first-rate whenever a frank manner is offensive it is because it is strained or feigned for there may be quite as much intolerable affectation in plainness as in mincing nicety all that the captain said and did was honestly according to his nature and his nature was open nature and good nature therefore when he paid this little compliment and expressed with a sparkle or two of his knowing eye i see how it is and nothing could be better he had established a delicate confidence on that subject with the family i was saying to your worthy mother said the captain to the young man after again introducing himself by name and occupation i was saying to your mother and you're very like her that it didn't signify where i was born except that i was raised on question asking ground where the babies as soon as ever they come into the world inquire of their mothers now how old may you be and whate'er are you going to name me which is a fact here he slapped his leg such being the case i may be excused for asking you if your name's alfred yes sir my name is alfred returned the young man i am not a conjurer," pursued the captain and don't think me so or i shall right soon undeceive you likewise don't think if you please though i do come from that country of the babies that i am asking questions for question asking's sake for i am not somebody belonging to you went to sea my elder brother hugh returned the young man He said it in an altered and lower voice and glanced at his mother who raised her hands hurriedly and put them together across her black gown and looked eagerly at the visitor no for god's sake don't think that said the captain in a solemn way i bring no good tidings of him there was a silence and the mother turned her face to the fire and put her hand between it and her eyes The young fisherman slightly motioned toward the window, and the captain, looking in that direction, saw a young widow sitting at a neighbouring window across a little garden engaged in needlework, with a young child sleeping on her bosom. The silence continued until the captain asked of Alfred, "'How long is it since it happened?' "'He shipped for his last voyage better than three years ago. "'Ship struck upon some reef or rock, as I take it?' "'said the captain, and all hands lost? "'Yes?' "'Well,' said the captain, after a shorter silence, "'here I sit, who may come to the same end, like enough. "'He holds the seas in the hollow of his hand. "'We must all strike somewhere and go down. "'Our comfort, then, for ourselves and one another, "'is to have done our duty. "'I'd wager your brother did his.' he did answered the young fisherman if ever man strove faithfully on all occasions to do his duty my brother did my brother was not a quick man anything but that but he was a faithful true and just man we were the sons of only a small tradesman in this county sir yet our father was as watchful of his good name as if he had been a king a precious sight more so i hope bearing in mind the general run of that class of critter said the captain uh, but i interrupt my brother considered that our father left the good name to us to keep clear and true your brother considered right said the captain and you couldn't take care of a better legacy but again i interrupt no for i have nothing more to say we know that hugh lived well for the good name and we feel certain that he died well for the good name and now it has come into my keeping and that's all well spoken cried the captain well spoken young man concerning the manner of your brother's death by this time the captain had released the hand he had shaken and sat with his own broad brown hands spread out on his knees and spoke aside concerning the manner of your brother's death it may be that i have some information to give you though it may not be for i am far from sure can we have a little talk alone the young man rose but not before the captain's quick eye had noticed that on the pretty sweetheart's turning to the window to greet the young widow with a nod and a wave of the hand the young widow had held up to her the needlework on which she was engaged with a patient and pleasant smile so the captain said being on his legs what might she be making now what is margaret making kitty asked the young fisherman with one of his arms apparently mislaid somewhere as kitty only blushed in reply the captain doubled himself up as far as he could standing and said with a slap of his leg in my country we should call it wedding clothes fact we should i do assure you but it seemed to strike the captain in another light too for his laugh was not a long one and he added in quite a gentle tone and it's very pretty my dear to see her poor young thing with her fatherless child upon her bosom giving up her thoughts to your home and your happiness it's very pretty my dear and it's very good may your marriage be more prosperous than hers and be a comfort to her too May the blessed sun see you all happy together, and in possession of the good name, long after I have done ploughing the great salt field that is never sown.' Kitty answered very earnestly, "'Oh, thank you, sir, with all my heart,' and in her loving little way kissed her hand to him, and possibly by implication to the young fisherman too, as the latter held the parlour-door open for the captain to pass out.' CHAPTER Two. THE MONEY "'The stairs are very narrow, sir,' said Alfred Raybrock, to Captain Jorgan. "'Like my cabin stairs,' returned the captain, on many a voyage, "'and they are rather inconvenient for the head. "'If my head can't take care of itself by this time, "'after all the knocking about the world it has had,' replied the captain, "'as unconcernedly as if he had no connection with it, "'it's not worth looking after.' thus they came into the young fisherman's bedroom which was as perfectly neat and clean as the shop and parlour below though it was but a little place with a sliding window and a phrenological ceiling expressive of all the peculiarities of the house roof here the captain sat down on the foot of the bed and glancing at a dreadful libel on kitty which ornamented the wall the production of some wandering limner whom the captain secretly admired as having studied portraiture from the figureheads of ships motioned to the young man to take the rush-chair on the other side of the small round table that done, the captain put his hand in the deep breast-pocket of his long-skirted blue coat, and took out of it a strong square-case bottle—not a large bottle, but such as may be seen in any ordinary ship's medicine-chest. Setting this bottle on the table without removing his hand from it, Captain Jorgen then spoke as follows in my last voyage homeward bound said the captain and that's the voyage off of which i now come straight i encountered such weather off the horn as is not very often met with even there i have rounded that stormy cape pretty often and i believe i first beat upon there in the identical storms that blew the devil's horns and tail off and led to the horns being worked up into toothpicks for the plantation overseers in my country who may be seen if you travel down south or away west fur enough picking their teeth with them while the whips made of the tail flog hard in this last voyage homeward bound for liverpool from south america i say to you my young friend it blew whole measures no half measures nor making believe to blow it blew now i warn't blown clean out of the water into the sky though i expected to be even that but i was blown clean out of my course and when at last it fell calm it fell dead calm and a strong current set one way day and night night and day and i drifted 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 out of all the ordinary tracks and courses of ships and drifted yet and yet drifted it behooves a man who takes charge of fellow critters lives never to rest from making himself master of his calling i never did rest and consequently i knew pretty well specially looking over the side in the dead calm of that strong current what dangers to expect and what precautions to take against em in short we were driving head on to an island there was no island in the chart and therefore you may say it was ill manners in the island to be there i don't dispute its bad breeding but there it was thanks be to heaven i was as ready for the island as the island was ready for me i made it out myself from the masthead and got enough way upon her in good time to keep her off i ordered a boat to be lowered and manned and went in that boat myself to explore the island there was a reef outside it and floating in a corner of the smooth water within the reef was a heap of seaweed and tangled in that seaweed was this pottle here the captain took his hand from the bottle for a moment that the young fisherman might direct a wondering glance at it and then replaced his hand and went on if ever you come or even if ever you don't come to a desert place use you your eyes and your spy-glass well for the smallest thing you see may prove of use to you and may have some information or some warning in it "'That's the principle on which I came to see this bottle. I picked up the bottle and ran the boat alongside the island, and made fast and went ashore, armed with a part of my boat's crew. We found that every scrap of vegetation on the island—I give it you as my opinion, but scant and scrubby at the best of times—had been consumed by fire.' as we were making our way cautiously and toilsomely over the pulverized embers one of my people sank into the earth breast-high he turned pale and haul me out smart shipmates says he for my feet are among bones we soon got him on his legs again and then we dug up the spot and we found that the man was right and that his feet had been among bones more than that they were human bones though whether the remains of one man or two or three men what with calcination and ashes and what with a poor practical knowledge of anatomy i can't undertake to say We examined the whole island, and made out nothing else, save and except that, from its opposite side, I sighted a considerable tract of land, which land I was able to identify, and, according to the bearings of which, not to trouble you with my log, I took a fresh departure. When I got aboard again, I opened the bottle, which was oilskin-covered, as you see, and glass-stoppered, as you see inside of it pursued the captain suiting his action to his words i found this little crumpled folded paper just as you see outside of it was written as you see these words whoever finds this is solemnly entreated by the dead to convey it unread to alfred raybrock steepways north devon england a sacred charge said the captain concluding his narrative and alfred raybrock there it is this is my poor brother's writing i suppose so said captain jorgan i'll take a look out of this little window while you read it pray no sir i should be hurt my brother couldn't know it would fall into such hands as yours the captain sat down again on the foot of the bed and the young man opened the folded paper with a trembling hand and spread it on the table the ragged paper evidently creased and torn both before and after being written on was much blotted and stained and the ink had faded and run and many words were wanting WHAT THE CAPTAIN AND THE YOUNG FISHERMAN MADE OUT TOGETHER, AFTER MUCH RE-READING AND MUCH HUMOURING OF THE folds OF THE PAPER, IS GIVEN ON THE NEXT PAGE. THE YOUNG FISHERMAN HAD BECOME MORE AND MORE AGITATED AS THE WRITING HAD BECOME CLEARER TO HIM. HE NOW LEFT IT LYING BEFORE THE CAPTAIN, OVER WHOSE SHOULDER HE HAD BEEN READING IT, AND DROPPING INTO HIS FORMER SEAT, LEANED FORWARD ON THE TABLE AND LAID HIS FACE IN HIS HAND. What man urged the captain, don't give in, be up and doing like a man. It is selfish, I know, but doing what? Doing what? cried the young fisherman in complete despair and stamping his sea boot on the ground. Doing what returned the captain? Something, I'd go down to the little breakwater below yonder and take a wrench at one of the salt rusted iron rings there and either wrench it up by the roots or wrench my teeth out of my head sooner than i do nothing nothing ejaculated the captain any fool or fainting heart can do that and nothing can come of nothing which was pretended to be found out i believe by one of them latin critters said the captain with the deepest disdain as if adam hadn't found it out afore ever so much he as named the beasts yet the captain saw in spite of his bold words that there was some greater reason than he yet understood for the young man's distress and he eyed him with a sympathising curiosity come come continued the captain speak out what is it boy you have seen how beautiful she is sir said the young man looking up for the moment with a flushed face and rumpled hair did any man ever say she warn't beautiful retorted the captain "'If so, go and lick him.' The young man laughed fretfully in spite of himself, and said, "'It's not that, it's not that.' "'Well, then, what is it?' said the captain, in a more soothing tone. The young fisherman mournfully composed himself to tell the captain what it was, and began, "'We were to have been married next Monday week.' "'Were to have been?' interrupted Captain Jorgen. "'And are to be—hey?' young raybrock shook his head and traced out with his forefinger the words poor father's five hundred pounds in the written paper go along said the captain five hundred pounds yes that sum of money pursued the young fisherman entering with the greatest earnestness on his demonstration while the captain eyed him with equal earnestness was all my late father possessed when he died he owed no man more than he left means to pay but he had been able to lay by only five hundred pounds five hundred pounds repeated the captain yes in his lifetime years before he had expressly laid the money aside to leave to my mother like to settle upon her if i make myself understood yes he had risked it once my father put down in writing at that time respecting the money and was resolved never to risk it again not a speculator said the captain my country wouldn't have suited him yes my mother has never touched the money till now and now it was to have been laid out this very next week in buying me a handsome share in our neighbouring fishery here to settle me in life with kitty the captain's face fell and he passed and repassed his sun-browned right hand over his thin hair in a discomfited manner kitty's father has no more than enough to live on even in the sparing way in which we live about here he is a kind of bailiff or steward of manor right here and they are not much and it is but a poor little office he was better off once and kitty must never marry to mere drudgery and hard living the captain still sat stroking his thin hair and looking at the young fisherman I am as certain that my father had no knowledge that any one was wronged, as to this money, or that any restitution ought to be made, as I am certain that the sun now shines. But after this solemn warning from my brother's grave in the sea, that the money is stolen money, said young Raybrock, forcing himself to the utterance of the words, Can I doubt it? Can I touch it? about not doubting i ain't so sure observed the captain but about not touching no i don't think you can see then said young raybrock why i am so grieved think of kitty think what i have got to tell her his heart quite failed him again when he had come round to that and he once more beat his sea-boot softly on the floor but not for long he soon began again in a quietly resolute tone However enough of that you spoke some brave words to me just now captain jorgan and they shall not be spoken in vain i have got to do something what i have got to do before all other things is to trace out the meaning of this paper for the sake of the good name that has no one else to put it right and still for the sake of the good name and my father's memory not a word of this writing must be breathed to my mother or to kitty or to any human creature you agree in this i don't know what they'll think of us below said the captain but for certain i can't oppose it now as to tracing how will you do they both as by consent bent over the paper again and again carefully puzzled out the whole of the writing I make out that this would stand if all the writing was here. Inquire among the old men living there for someone. Most like you go to this village named here," said the captain, musing with his finger on the name. "Yes, and Mister Tregarthen is a Cornishman, and to be sure comes from Lanrean. Does he?" said the captain quietly. "As I ain't acquainted with him, who may he be?" "Mister Tregarthen is Kitty's father." "'Aye, aye!' cried the captain. "'Now you speak. Tregarthen knows this village of Lanreen, then?' "'Beyond all doubt he does. "'I have often heard him mention it as being his native place. "'He knows it well.' "'Stop half a moment,' said the captain. "'We want a name here. "'You could ask Tregarthen if you couldn't, I could, "'what names of old men he remembers in his time in those diggings, eh? "'I can go straight to his cottage and ask him now.' take me with you said the captain rising in a solid way that had a most comfortable reliability in it and just a word more first i have knocked about harder than you and have got along further than you i have had all my sea-going life long to keep my wits polished bright with acid and friction like the brass cases of the ship's instruments i'll keep you company on this expedition now you don't live by talking any more than i do clench that hand of yours in this hand of mine, and that's a speech on both sides. Captain Jorgan took command of the expedition with that hearty shake. He at once refolded the paper exactly as before, replaced it in the bottle, put the stopper in, put the oilskin over the stopper, confided the whole to young Raybrock's keeping, and led the way downstairs. But it was harder navigation below stairs than above the instant they set foot in the parlour the quick womanly eye detected that there was something wrong kitty exclaimed frightened as she ran to her lover's side alfred what's the matter mrs raybrock cried out to the captain gracious what have you done to my son to change him like this all in a minute and the young widow who was there with her work upon her arm, was at first so agitated that she frightened the little girl she held in her hand, who hid her face in her mother's skirts and screamed. The captain, conscious of being held responsible for this domestic change, contemplated it with quite a guilty expression of countenance, and looked to the young fisherman to come to his rescue kitty darling said young raybrock kitty dearest love i must go away to lanrean and i don't know where else or how much further this very day worse than that our marriage kitty must be put off and i don't know for how long kitty stared at him in doubt and wonder and in anger and pushed him from her with her hand put off cried mrs raybrock the marriage put off and you going to lanrean why in the name of the dear lord mother dear i can't say why i must not say why it would be dishonourable and undutiful to say why dishonourable and undutiful returned the dame and is there nothing dishonourable or undutiful in the boy's breaking the heart of his own plighted love and his mother's heart too for the sake of the dark secrets and counsels of a wicked stranger why did you ever come here she apostrophized the innocent captain who wanted you where did you come from why couldn't you rest in your own bad place wherever it is instead of disturbing the peace of quiet unoffending folk like us and what sobbed the poor little kitty have i ever done to you you hard and cruel captain that you should come and serve me so and then they both began to weep most pitifully while the captain could only look from the one to the other and lay hold of himself by the coat-collar margaret said the poor young fisherman on his knees at kitty's feet while kitty kept both her hands before her tearful face to shut out the traitor from her view but kept her fingers wide asunder and looked at him all the time margaret you have suffered so much so uncomplainingly and are always so careful and considerate do take my part for poor hugh's sake the quiet margaret was not appealed to in vain i will alfred she returned and i do i wish this gentleman had never come near us whereupon the captain laid hold of himself the tighter. but i take your part for all that i am sure you have some strong reason and some sufficient reason for what you do strange as it is and even for not saying why you do it strange as that is and kitty darling you are bound to think so more than any one for true love believes everything and bears everything and trusts everything and mother dear you are bound to think so too for you know you have been blessed with good sons whose word was always as good as their oath and who were brought up in as true a sense of honour as any gentleman in this land and i am sure you have no more call mother to doubt your living son than to doubt your dead son and for the sake of the dear dead i stand up for the dear living wow now the captain struck in with enthusiasm this i say that whether your opinions flatter me or not you are a young woman of sense and spirit and feeling and i'd sooner have you by my side in the hour of danger than a good half of the men i've ever fallen in with or fallen out with either margaret did not return the captain's compliment or appear fully to reciprocate his good opinion but she applied herself to the consolation of kitty and of kitty's mother-in-law that was to have been next monday week and soon restored the parlour to a quiet condition kitty my darling said the young fisherman i must go to your father to entreat him still to trust me in spite of this wretched change and mystery and to ask him for some directions concerning will you come home will you come with me kitty kitty answered not a word but rose sobbing with the end of her simple head-dress at her eyes Captain Jorgan followed the lovers out, quite sheepishly, pausing in the shop to give an instruction to Mr. Pettifer. "'Here, Tom,' said the captain, in a low voice, "'here's something in your line. Here's an old lady, poorly and low in her spirits. Cheer her up a bit, Tom. Cheer 'em all up.' Mr. Pettifer, with a brisk nod of intelligence, immediately assumed his steward face, and went with his quiet, helpful steward's step into the parlour where the captain had the great satisfaction of seeing him through the glass door take the child in his arms who offered no objection and bend over mrs raybrock administering soft words of consolation though what he finds to say unless he's telling her that it'll soon be over or that most people is so at first or that it'll do her good afterward i cannot imaginate was the captain's reflection as he followed the lovers he had not far to follow them since it was but a short descent down the stony ways to the cottage of kitty's father but short as the distance was it was long enough to enable the captain to observe that he was fast becoming the village ogre for there was not a woman standing working at her door or a fisherman coming up or going down who saw young raybrock unhappy and little kitty in tears but he or she instantly darted a suspicious and indignant glance at the captain as the foreigner who must somehow be responsible for this unusual spectacle consequently when they came into tregarthen's little garden which formed the platform from which the captain had seen kitty peeping over the wall the captain brought to and stood off and on at the gate while Kitty hurried to hide her tears in her own room, and Alfred spoke with her father, who was working in the garden. He was a rather infirm man, but could scarcely be called old, yet, with an agreeable face and a promising air of making the best of things. The conversation began on his side with great cheerfulness and good humour, but soon became distrustful and soon angry. That was the captain's cue for striking both into the conversation and the garden. End of story thirteen, part one.